Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Let's get in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm finishing off what we began on Tuesday at 1 p.m., which was eight limitations that Christ removed off your life. Eight limitations that Christ has removed from you that you're no longer bound to. And I let me just give you a little synopsis of what we discussed on Tuesday in case you didn't watch the broadcast. When Adam sinned, when man sinned, sin entered into the human race and entered into our bloodstream. And as such, it caused us to have limitations that formerly were not there. In the Garden of Eden, there were no limitations. There were no limitations physically. There were no limitations mentally. You know, you think of the mental prowess that Adam had in an exercise in the Garden of Eden. Whenever he had to name an animal, he knew exactly what to name the animal. God gave him charge to oversee the affairs of the Garden of Eden, to name every animal. So every species, every single insect, every single uh, beast of the field, sea and, the f- and fish in the sea, he had the, uh, he had the task to name every single one of those animals. And not only to name them, to name them would be one thing. Not enough is a hard task, but to remember them, to remember every single name that he had given to every single animal, that takes a mental capacity that human beings, humanity in sin can attain to that. But the scripture says when Christ came and died for our sins, he not only died for us to get to heaven, he, Romans chapter 8 verse 2, the scripture says, Christ, by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, we have been set free from the laws of sin and death. Meaning the laws that govern a normal human being, we have now been set free from those laws. So we can now enter in and operate at the capacity, the level that God operates. Uh, at God operates. How do we know that? 2 Peter chapter, th- chapter 1 verses 3 and verse 4. The scripture says, hi Aubrey, first time watcher, God bless you. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't taken a uh, chance, if you haven't taken the time yet, please ch- uh, share the broadcast and help me to get the broadcast out. This this broadcast out to as many people as possible. You'd be a great help to a great help for me. The scripture says in Second uh, Peter chapter one and verse three, God's divine power has been made available to us so that we can do all things that pertain to life and godliness as we gain the knowledge of Christ our Savior. Then it moves on to say, in verse 4, by the magnificent promises of the Word of God, the Scripture says, we have been made partakers of the divine nature by these great promises, having escaped the corruption or the limitations that are on this world. We've escaped the corruptions of the flesh. We've escaped the limitations of our flesh. We have escaped the limitations that sin placed upon the human race. And now we have been infused with divine strength and power, energy from heaven to do everything God's called us to do, to accomplish everything God's called us to accomplish, and to be who God has called us to be on planet Earth. We're not called to be a pitiable people. You're not called to be some 
someone that every time they think of you, they pity you. Oh, isn't it a shame what they're going through? That's not the legacy you're to leave on the earth. You've been called a royal priesthood. You've been called a chosen generation. You've been called a holy nation. You've been set apart from the corruption of this world and now have the Holy Ghost in you. You're not flesh and blood anymore alone. You have the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead living on the inside of you, quickening your mortal body, quickening your mortal body. What does that mean? It's an old-fashioned English term saying empowering you to do what God has wired you to to do on the earth. You have a, 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 a a very high destiny in Christ. You weren't created just to punch in at 9 a.m. and punch out at 5 p.m. to live uh, working slave to the money system of this world for 30 years, 40 years, then retiring and then just living off 20 years of retirement, if that. Most people don't even get 20 years. You weren't called to have that. Your life has been called to a high place in Christ. You are to be an enviable figure on the earth that when people see your life when people hear about you when people uh see the works and the 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 results you enjoy they start to scratch their heads and say there has to be a higher power because you're not operating on the same level that the rest of us are operating on that's the testimony joseph had i mean you can't you hear people that always always will have a that's right says we're not a common people you'll have people that'll always come on and they'll say well he's preaching that like uh flowers and daisies gospel that we're all just called to be you know these uh, superhuman beings that nothing ever phases us that's not what i'm preaching i'm saying there will be trials and there will be challenges and there will be tribulation that come and try to wipe you out in this world but the scripture says you're not confined you're not limited you're not to be a victim of those challenges rather the scripture says in romans chapter 8 hallelujah one of my favorite scriptures it says if god did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all will he not freely give us everything else we need to do uh we need to enjoy life the scripture says if god be for us who can be against us then he moves on to say that neither life nor death not principalities nor powers not angels nor demons nor anything created can separate us from the love of god in christ jesus and Paul finishes off by saying, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. So he lists out a bunch of challenges, life, death, talks about principalities, powers, talks about the challenges that you might face in life. But Paul finishes off, not by with a Debbie Downer statement, like, yeah, and we're just have to make it through it. And how many of you know, one day we'll make it to heaven where we'll be set free from all these challenges. No, God's not waiting to get you to heaven to set you free from the challenges you're facing today. God has accepted exceeding power available to you that if you'll take it by force like the scripture says to do that those challenges will be mountains that God's able to lay flat so that you can march on in to freedom march on in to that glorious destiny God has for you nay in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us through Christ who loves us the Bible says what eye has not seen what ear has not heard what has never even entered the heart of man 
Human beings haven't even conceived in their minds and in their hearts the things that God has prepared for His church. The church is not to be the bottom of the barrel. The church, the people that belong and pertain to the body of Christ, we are the cream of the crop because Christ, it's no longer I who lives. Christ lives in me. I'm not, I'm not operating on human strength. I'm not operating on, on human ability. I have the higher one. I have the greater one that lives in me and God at work in me and through me to work his good pleasure on the earth. You're not going to be a pity in your family. You're not going to be an object of shame and reproach in your family. People aren't going to look at you and, and just shake their head and say, isn't it a shame? No, people will see your life as a glorious billboard advertisement of heaven saying that God is good. And if you'll follow God, you'll never lack. If you'll follow God, he'll lead you by still pastures, if uh, still waters. If you'll follow God, he'll make you to lie down in green pastures. If you'll follow God, he'll restore your soul. If you'll follow God, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, he's going to get you to the other side because his rod, his word's going to comfort you. He'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. The Bible does not negate the reality or does not neglect the reality of enemies. But the Bible says through Christ, we shall do triumphantly. We have the hand of God on our lives. We have the spirit of God in us. We're not like everybody else and our lives aren't going to look like everybody else. We're more than conquerors through him. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So I tell you in the name of Jesus at the beginning of this broadcast, whatever defeat you've suffered in your past, whatever failure you've experienced, just shake off the dust off your feet, pick up those boxing mitts, tape yourself back in, get that mouthpiece back in your mouth get back in the ring because the greater one lives in you and though your past might not have been what you wanted it to be you might have, have suffered the great the worst failures maybe things that you wouldn't wish upon your enemies that you those are the things you went through well let me tell you your first couple of chapters of the book might have started off poorly but that the devil doesn't get to decide how the end of the book goes the devil doesn't get to decide what your future looks like you and god are gonna write the next chapters of your life and you're not going to end on a low note. You're going to end on a high note. 2020 might have started out like a year from hell. 2020 is not going to finish a year from hell. God said, I'll make your days on the earth as days of heaven on earth. God's going to crown your year with goodness. God's going to crown your year with his blessing. God's going to crown your year, not with a question mark. Oh, who knows what 2021 will hold? No, my God is the same yesterday. He's the same as he was in 2019. He's the same as he is in 2020. And he'll be the same in 2021 until Jesus comes. He's not the man that should lie. He's not a son of man that should change his mind. He knows the thoughts and the purpose and the future that he has for you. And God's already said, if you'll serve me diligently, I've got a high place in life to set you on. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to write in the comment section. I ask you to write it because you need to. You need to confess it for yourself. You can't just wish it. Wishes don't make champions. You have to confess it. You have to speak it. We having the same spirit of faith, we believe, therefore we spoke. If you're just joining me now, you'd be a great uh, encouragement to me if you'd share the broadcast. We believe, therefore we spoke. We don't believe and just believe in our heart. You know how many people die an early death? Because they had all the faith in the world, 
in their heart. They had all the faith in the world. They believed God in their heart, but faith in the heart does nothing. You need to learn how to turn that faith loose. That's why I have you uh, write it out. That's why I have you confess it out of your mouth. That's why I have you speak it. That's why I have you uh, take action on what you're believing in your heart, because all the faith in the heart will do you nothing. That's why when Jesus and blind Bartimaeus had that encounter and blind Bartimaeus said, Lord, I need to receive my sight. Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do it? He had to get blind Bartimaeus to make a confession of faith before the power of God can go to work in his situation and close his case in his favor. He had to get him to make that confession. That people like to belittle the power of confession. But let me tell you, the power of confession isn't something that Tony Robbins came up with in the 80s. It's not something that Jim Ron came up with. The power of confession is listed throughout the whole entire Bible. There were 12 spies that went to spy out the land of Canaan. Ten came back and gave an evil report of unbelief. How do we know it was an evil report? Because they said, they spoke it, they confessed, yes, the land is good. Yes, the land is, is, is excellent. Yes, there's land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, here are even the grapes. It took us six men just to carry one cluster of grapes. The, the land indeed is good. God's not misled us on that. However, the Bible says that they said the people in the land, they're, they're giants, they're way too big for us, and their cities are fortified even up into heaven, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. We're too tiny. We can't do it. We can never make it. We'll never get there. You know, people love to talk and gravitate towards negative confession. It's it's not hard to make a negative confession. It's not hard to speak defeat in your case. It's not hard to talk what your eyes see and what your ears hear. That's what carnally, carnal people do. The scripture says to be carnally minded is death. It's easy to speak death. It's easy to speak failure. It's easy to speak limitations. It's easy to speak that you can't do it. It's easy to speak that I'll never make it. It's easy to speak that I don't know where I'm going. It's easy. It takes the spirit of God and the word of God built up in your heart to speak uh, evidence contrary to the evidence that your eyes are seeing. Faith is that evidence of things not yet seen. That's why people think it's foolish. Why? How can I say that? That's kind of like deception. If that's kind of like I'm lying to myself if I speak things that aren't there. No, that's the highest form of faith. That's the highest form of wisdom you can use. You're not lying. You're just seeing that there's a higher evidence to the evidence that you're seeing with your physical eyes. Yes, the battle is strong. Yes, the armies are real. Second Kings uh, chapter five or chapter six, the scripture talks about Elisha's servant going out one morning and he lifted up his eyes and there were a big army, a huge army. The Assyrians had sent a delegation of troops to wipe Elisha out, to kill him and burn his house down. And that servant lifted up his eyes and he saw he didn't. It wasn't like he was schizophrenic or he had some sort of like uh, mental illness where he saw things that weren't actually there. No, there were real people. There was a real army. There was a real, real swords and they had a real assignment from their king to go and kill Elisha. Elisha. But the scripture says when he went to fetch Elisha and he said, Alas, master, we're done. See how easy it was when you walk in carnal mindset? It, we're done. Man, I might as well quit now. But Elisha, he, start, he saw things that that carnal man didn't see. He saw things not with the eyes of his flesh, with the eyes of his spirit. And he said, 
God opened up his eyes so he can see what I'm seeing. And as he did, the Lord opened up his eyes and he looked behind him. And there behind him was a massive army, a chariot of fire. The Lord's armies, horses of fire surrounded round about Elisha. And he saw that there were more for them than there were against them. Yes, the battle is fierce. Yes, the enemy is still prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But you got to see today with the eyes of your spirit, with evidence from the word one third of the angels might have fallen and are now demons and are on assignment of hell to wipe you out but there's still two-thirds of the innumerable that are on your side there are more for us than there are against us if God be for us who can be against us if the hand of God is moving us forward what hand can push us back we are more than conquerors we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength because the greater one lives in us and if God lives in us then the adversary ahead of us will just be bread for us to eat we can by all means put possess the land we can by all means obtain the promise we can by all of all means get exactly what God wants us to have and nothing's going to stop that second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15 even to this day when Moses is read a veil lies on their heart nevertheless when the veil is taken away nevertheless when one turns to the Lord the veil is taken away now the Lord is the spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, listen to this, verse 18, take special note of this scripture. We all, talking to believers, talking to me, talking to you, with unveiled faces. That's the power of revelation. That's why you tuned in today. And I commend you for tuning in and for sticking on. Many of you watch nearly all our broadcasts. The Bible says when you have an unveiled face, when you come in contact with revelation from the word, why do you think I don't spend time talking about my experiences, you know, things that I, I don't feel like they work quite as exactly what I thought they would work out to be. You know, I don't talk about experiences. I don't talk. It doesn't matter. You know, they asked Bishop Oyedepo, uh, a man of God in Nigeria, and they asked him saying, um, have you ever had any problems? Have you ever had any trouble? Why do you, you know, you never talk about your troubles when you've been preaching and when you've been ministering. And he said, maybe they came. I just don't know. I forget those things which are behind. I don't remember the former things. I don't recall the things of past. He says, I look. His focus was the word of God. That's what Abraham did. Romans chapter 4. The scripture says, Abraham did not waver in unbelief in respect to the promise of God. He did not consider his own body. He didn't look upon his human flesh. He didn't look at the fact that he was a hundred, nearing a hundred years old. And that, I mean, if he would have come into a fertility clinic at 40 years old, he would have had a hard time. At, at 50 years old, at, a, at 60 years old, they, you know, they have a hard time bringing, uh, bringing fertility to a woman. Sarah was 90 years old. Abraham was pushing a hundred years old. He didn't consider it though. He didn't, it's not that he ignored reality. He didn't consider re, the reality of the situation. Rather, he grew strong in faith because he looked to the promises of God and he wasn't just looking to it. He was fully convinced. He was fully persuaded that what God promised, he was able to perform. So as you listen to this broadcast, God's going to put in you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's going to unveil your eyes to see the surpassing greatness of his power that's available to you. God's power is very great. But as powerful as God is, 
If it just stayed in the heavens, if the power of God just hovered over you, it doesn't do much for you. You need to learn. And that's why we take time to read the scriptures. Learn how to seize that power and to, re- to harness it to the direction that you want it to go to produce the miracle you want produced in your life. So I pray at the fr- before I get into the last five limitations that God will open your eyes to see the wonderful things found in his word God will open your eyes to the entrance of his word that as the entrance of his word comes into your heart it'll bring light and it'll give understanding wherever you feel lost God's not called you to feel lost in life God's not called you to a confused he's not the author of confusion he's the author of peace he's the author of order and whatever has caused disorder in your life by revelation today by the power of God today that disorder turns orderly from the uh, in the name of Jesus Christ let me read this now with all we all with unveiled faces beholden as in a mirror the glory of the Lord we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord we're being transformed not into an angel image we're not being transformed into some foreign image we're not being transformed into the image of the strongest human that ever lived we're being transformed into the image of christ christ had no limits christ was not bound by limitations when he wanted to walk on water he walked on the water when he wanted to raise the dead he raised the dead so there are certain things all this 23 minutes to explain there are certain limitations that came on you through sin but now that you've been set free from the law of sin and death you are now you've been welcomed in to a a world a realm of no limits and from today you're gonna live a life of no limits Every limitation that your family had every limitation that your history your past had every limitation that even Bill Gates has God has called you to exceed those limits to break free so that you can show off to this generation that our God it's not by might it's not by strength it's by God's spirit and that the church is not another charitable organization we're not a 501c3 nonprofit charity. We're not another religion. We're not another way. We're not another way of doing things. We're not some philosophy. We're not some theory that we've um, uh, uh, come up with. We're not some, you know, crutch to get us through life. We are the church of the living God. We have been translated out of darkness into light. We now the Bible says, are the body of Christ on the earth. And the world will know that you belong to that body from today in Jesus' name. So the first three, I'll skim through them. Physical limitations. If you haven't had a chance, you should go back to Tuesday's broadcast and you can read, you can uh, hear about more about that. Physical limitations. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Then we talked about mental limitations. You're no longer bound to your old mindset, your own, your old uh, pattern of thought, your old way of thinking. You now have the mind of Christ. And as such, you're not lost. You're not stupid. You're not slow. You can think the thoughts of God and you can have access into the ways of God. Number three, we're no longer bound by financial limitations. The Bible says God gives you power to create wealth. We, we just like Jesus, multiplied the bread and the fish and it fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And then it moved on to have 12 baskets, leftovers of the fragments that remain. God has 
broken you free out of financial bounds and limitations. You're not to be bound by poverty. You're not to be bound by want or by need. You now, the Bible says God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. And so you're not called to live in penury or in need or in perpetual want. You've been called to a, a world of overflow where you're not feasting off the fragments that remain. You, you have been called to a table that by, the Bible says is a table of overflow. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Number four, and this is where I'm going to start today. Limitations of your past. The limitations of your past. A lot of times people are limited, limited by yesterday's failure. Don't let yesterday's failure rob you of today's success. Don't let yesterday's failure rob you of today's success. We, I mean, Jeremiah 29, 11, the scripture says, I know the thoughts I have for you, says the Lord. They're thoughts for a future and for a hope to bless you, to give you good things. But if you just keep dwelling on the hor horrors of your past, you'll never have strength to move on into that glorious future. That's why Paul said, let me read it, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 3, sorry. Paul said this, verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, these things I've counted as a loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things as a loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. There's so many people that they're always focused on on what they lost out on when they came to Christ. So they're not even able to move. You know, you're God's workmanship. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for you to walk in. But if you just keep talking about how hard it's been to serve God, you know, what, what I lost out on, you know, I actually had a pretty bright future, but then when I came to Christ, you know, I pretty much lost that. Uh, I, I, I couldn't move on in my career anymore. I couldn't do, you know, they're just reminiscing of what they missed out on when they came to Jesus. And as such, they're not able to gain what Christ now has available for them to, to move on into. So they just, they're just always talking about their past success, their past, um, past success. There's no other way to say it. Their past feats and exploits that they did but then when I came to Christ you know it seems like after that you know I, I couldn't really uh, you know God didn't call us they come up with all kinds of religious bull poop you know God didn't call us to success he just called us to be faithful that's not true the Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is like a seed which a man sowed it might be the smallest seed at first but after it grows, if you stay faithful to the kingdom, it grows and becomes larger than any of the, the, the trees of the field. So you might have lost things out. Jesus said, come to me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross. So there are things you're going to have to drop off your life. There are things. Narrow is the way that leads to life. There are things you're going to have to trim off your life. But there's nothing God calls you to and that you have to lose that God won't make up for it. Because the scripture says when Peter spoke up and he says, Lord, we have left all to follow you. 
Did Jesus say, yes, I know you did, and you shouldn't be complaining about it. You know, just be faithful, and one day it'll be worth it. No. Jesus said, there's nobody who has left houses. There's nobody who's left family. There's nobody who's left property, jobs. There's nobody who's left anything that shall not in this lifetime receive a hundredfold and in the life to come, eternal life. So there's nothing you lost out on that God won't abundantly make things even better than what you thought you had before. So Paul is essentially saying that. He says, I've count all those things as lost. Now that I've seen the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ, I count it as trash. I count it as rubbish. It doesn't compare. Paul said, the light affliction of my past and what I'm feeling now is nothing to be compared to the exceeding glory of my future that lies in Christ. But people are so bound to dwelling on what they missed out on. Forget those things which are behind. Let's read on. Verse 12, not that I have obtained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. I press on that I might lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. So it's an intentional thing. He's saying, I, I, I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not quite what I want to be. But one thing I do, I don't complain about why I'm not where I want to be, and I don't complain about the past. One thing I do, it's an intentional thing. You have to program yourself to think this way. It doesn't come automatically. Carnal flesh, the natural mind is, gonna, is always dwelling on what happened, how they've been wronged. You know, so many people are still dwelling on, they're still springing up in a root of bitterness because they got wronged 13, 14, 15 years ago. They can't get over the offense. They're dwelling on past offense, and as such, that offense has led them to be stagnant, idle in life. Not being able to move on. Not being able to press on to that glorious future ahead. But Paul said, this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind. I forget those things which are in my past. I don't dwell on the wrongs that people have done towards me. I don't dwell on the bitterness of my past. I don't dwell on what I missed out on, missed opportunities. I don't dwell on that. Rather... I reach forward. So there's a lot of people who they try to program themselves not to dwell on the past, but then because they're not programmed, your mind's going to run. Whether you want it or not, your mind is going to move. If your mind's not moving, then you're dead. You're flatlined. So your mind's going to run. But you get to choose. You get to program your mind as to what you dwell on. You can dwell on the limitations your past has placed on you, or you can forget those things which are behind and then move on to those things. Press towards. He says, I, I reach forward to those things which are ahead of me. I press towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So if you just let your mind, you just try and keep it calm. I just won't think about anything. You're going to go, you're going to revert back to thinking on the past. But if you'll do like Paul said, I program my mind. You read Philippians 4. The scripture says, whatever things are true, whatever things are good, whatever things are worthy, whatever things are excellent and praiseworthy, these things I'm going to dwell on and the God of peace will be on me. So he said, I not only forget the things which are behind me, I program myself to, to dream big. 
I program myself to think the thoughts of God. You know, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 3, Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we can ask or think. So Paul is essentially saying, don't just ask big and then think small. Ask big and think big. For to be carnally minded, bound by the past, is death. But to be spiritually minded, what's spiritually minded? Thinking God's thoughts concerning you. What are God's thoughts towards you? Are God's thoughts to destroy you, to lay you flat? Or are God's thoughts, you can read them throughout the scriptures, God's thoughts towards you are to bless you, to make your name great so that you can be a blessing on the earth. God's thoughts towards you are to multiply you. God's thoughts towards you are to increase you. Consider your father Abraham. When I called him, he was one person. But after I was done with him, how greatly I increased him. How greatly I blessed him. You are a child of Abraham. You're of the seed of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham's on you. So start to think the way Abraham thought. He didn't consider the horrors of his past. He didn't consider the fact that he had come from a family of idol worshipers. And he, he felt that he was disqualified of serving God. No, he said, I've been called out. I've been delivered from this wicked age. And I've now been called to serve God in holiness and in truth. And as he walked with God, God didn't lead him backwards. God led him forwards. He, it's not like Genesis 12 starts off where God called Abraham. And then Genesis 13, he was hit by a chariot as it was coming nearby and ended up dying tragically. No, the scripture says a chapter later, Abraham was rich in silver, livestock, and in gold. Then you move on, Genesis 22, where the Bible says, God said, I'm going to multiply you, and you shall be great, and your descendants will possess the gates of your enemies. Then move on to Genesis chapter 24, where it says, Abraham was now very old, well stricken in age, and God had blessed him in every single area of life. There's no department of your life that God's not interested in blessing. There's no area of life that God's not interested in showing forth his power and his glory and manifesting his goodness in that area. Start to think the way David thought. He, where he said, had it not been the Lord who was on my side, I would have been swept away. I would have been destroyed by the enemy. But thanks be unto God who hath delivered me from the, the snare of the fowler. He's, I have escaped the snare. The snare is destroyed. And now he said, goodness and mercy follows me every single day of my life. Start to think the way Psalm 91. Stop thinking about what bad things could happen to you and start thinking about what good things will happen to you today. That if you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, you'll abide under the shadow, the protection of the Almighty. You can say of God. You know, a word starts with a thought. So David obviously thought this about God, and then his mouth caused him to confess it. Then he said, I'll say of God. He is my fortress. He is my God. He is my rock. He is the strength of my salvation. I'll not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the pestilence which stalks in darkness. No, a thousand can fall to my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but I I'll, I'll be I'll be focused on him. One thing I'll do. One thing I'll be confident. That if God is my dwelling place. God is my shelter. These evils will not approach me. No no evil shall befall me. Nor plague come near my tent. I've been born of God. I'm hidden with Christ in God. Whatever can't get to Christ can't get to me. That, that's the thoughts of God. You see if you start programming yourself like that. You'll, you'll be a, it'll be a hard time to get sad. You'll get a, it'll be a lot harder to get depressed. A lot harder to be angry. 
anxious. A lot harder to be worried. Jesus said, don't worry. Don't think about the past of your life. Don't worry about your life as to what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on. Instead, seek first God's kingdom. Reach forward, like Paul said, to the high prize of the calling in Christ Jesus. Put your mind to work on the act of soul winning. Get people saved. Think about evangelism. Think about expanding God's kingdom. And God said everything else that the heathen tries to obtain naturally, that's impossible for them to attain. All those things, I'm going to cheaply add them to your account. So the limitations of your past will rob you of the prosperity and the success of your future. You have to program yourself. I'm not limited by my past failure. Another thing is some people are still complaining about a sin they did 18 years ago that they repented of and they're still wallowing in condemnation. You know the Bible says we have such confidence before God because our hearts don't condemn us. So if you're just dwelling on the past mistakes and your heart's condemning you, even though God doesn't condemn you, that's why Jesus had to tell that woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. For there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who no longer walk after the flesh. I, I don't walk after the flesh. What does that mean? I'm not trying to satisfy my flesh. There's a drive in me. There's a, a, a passion in me to satisfy God's desires, to do what God wants me to do, to obey God's commandments. I'm not walking. Now, that doesn't say I don't make mistakes. It's that there's a drive in me that when I do make a mistake, I repent, I ask God to... To, to wipe that out of my life, to cleanse me of unrighteousness, and then to fill me with a grace so that I don't do it again and that I can please Him in that area. So I, And I don't just sit around just, man, I wish I hadn't done that. No, God forgot. If the Bible says He blots out your sins and your transgressions, He buries it in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered. If God doesn't remember it, if God's not accusing you, who cares of what the devil's trying to bring up into your memory? Every time the devil reminds you of your past, you know what you should do? Remind him of his past. How miserably he failed in Esther's day. How miserably he failed in Moses' day when he tried to kill him when he was just a baby. How miserably he failed when he tried to keep the Israelites bound to Egyptian captivity. How miserably he failed when he tried to keep that woman that was bent double, bound by that spirit of infirmity. And the moment Jesus came, immediately she was made straight and glorified God. How miserably he failed ultimately at the cross of Christ when he thought he had nailed his problem to that tree never never to be brought up to memory again and he finally got rid of the problem of God but then on the third day he he had a rude awakening because Jesus didn't stay dead on that third day the stone was moved and Jesus Christ neatly folded his head cloth and put it near the bed and he marched on resurrected and alive and the Bible says John beheld him not dead not a lamb that was slain but as a man whose eyes were like a flame of fire whose hairs white like wool every time the devil reminds you of your past remind him of his past and remind him of his ultimate defeat his ultimate failure his ultimate lake of fire that awaits him that's steaming and is simmering waiting for his presence to come and inhabit that place i'm telling you stop soaking in the 
horrors and the, and the mistakes of your past. Stop remembering the sins and failures of yesterday. You've been forgiven. If you've repented of that thing, you, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness. We have an advocate before the Father. That the, Jesus Christ, who's the propitiation of our sins. So my heart doesn't condemn me. God doesn't condemn me. And that's all that matters. So now I have confidence to start moving, moving forward. Some people are sitting in a pool of self-despair. Drowning in the own emotions of their thoughts. When Christ has already said, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. I don't care if people saw me do wrong things and still point the finger at me. How could you even be a preacher after everything you've done? I don't care about their opinion. As far as the east is from the west, so are my sins blotted from God's sight. Hallelujah. Who is a God? That's why Micah says it this way. Who's a God so great like you? Who pardons our iniquity? That's why David said in Psalm 32, Oh, how blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. How blessed is the man whose sins are covered, whose transgression is covered. How blessed is the man who's, who, who, in whose spirit there's no deceit. To whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Because God made him who knew no sin to become my sin. So I can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. No longer bound by the limitations of my past. The scripture says in Isaiah 43. Let me read this and then we'll move on to the next one. Because I, I get so excited on one point And then these easily could turn into like three hour broadcasts. But I understand people have... Things to do and places to go. If you're just tuning in now, welcome to the broadcast. If you haven't had a chance to do it yet, please share this broadcast and uh, help me get the word out. Isaiah 43, verse 18. Don't remember the former things. So God's telling you don't remember. Why take energy in remembering? Why actually put brain power towards remembering? Don't remember the things of old. Nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I'll make even a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So if you sit down, just complain, I just feel dry. I feel like nothing ever works. I feel like, you know, I feel like karma is really biting me in the butt now. After everything I've done, it's just coming back. What goes around comes around. No. I'm doing a new thing. If you focus on the old thing, you can't focus on the new thing, and you'll be robbed of the blessing of the new thing God wants to do in your life. Stake yourself free. The Bible says, make strong the feeble knees. Strengthen your hands. Quit ye like men. Be brave. Be strong. And move. Go. It doesn't matter what they did to you. It doesn't matter uh, how horrible of a deed they did to you. Forgive, forget, love, move forward. Martin Luther King used to say, I choose to love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Choose to love. Number five. Limitations on what you can now accomplish. What you can now accomplish. What you can do. What you can dream. What can be done through your life. 
There are no more limitations as to what God can do through you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. What eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has never entered the heart of man, those are the things God has prepared for you. So unimaginable exploits God has prepared for you to do. No matter your human inadequacy, no matter your human inability, no matter your, your, your human uh, insufficiency, no matter your weaknesses, no matter your quirks, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you know your calling, brethren. Not many of you are wise. Not many of you are strong. Not many of you are noble. Not many of you are held in high esteem. But God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are strong. God has chosen the things which are despised, the things which are not, the things which are cast aside, the things which are literally the, dis, the, the, the reprobates of life. God has chosen those people specifically so that he can show himself strong so nobody can boast, nobody can say, I did it. Why did God choose fishermen? Peter and James and John and Andrew. Why did God choose people that were fishermen? Fishermen were not the Ivy League Harvard, Harvard graduates of the day. Fishermen were like the basic simpletons. Yet he chooses those men to lead the church after his departure. Raises them up, disciples them. And Jesus said, it's enough for a disciple to become like his master. So when you get around, that's the thing. If you hang around mediocrity, you'll live a mediocre life. But it, a mediocre life. But if you will hang around God, who is the great omnipotent one, the one who neither wearies nor faints, when you hang around God in prayer, what ends up happening? You start to glean off God's greatness. His greatness gets in you. His mind, you tap into his mind. His strength, His aura, His magnificence starts to flow. That's what Moses, he went on the mountain, fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And when he comes down, his face is, is shining, glowing. He spent time with God and he began to glow. Jesus on the Mount Transfiguration, he's praying. And his face is transfigured before the disciples' eyes. And they got scared. Didn't know what to say. When you spend time in prayer, when you spend time in, in God's Spirit, when you walk in the Spirit, you plant your feet in the house of God, you spend time in the Word of God. The Bible says, my son, don't depart from my Word, for it's life to those that find Him. Not human life, God's very own life comes in you. And so you're not limited as to what you can do any longer. But the, another thing is, is you can't just go out and do whatever you want to do. You, you, you don't determine God's plan for your life. You discover God's plan for your life. And when you discover that plan, there's no limits as to how far you can go. If God's called you to run a coffee shop, you should have the best coffee shop. You should run every Starbucks out of town. If God's called you to run an accounting business, you should be the best accountant, accountant that even the government officials are using your services. Psalm 87, let me read this. This scripture perfectly illustrates what I'm trying to convey. Psalm 87, verse 1. We're not, there, if this does anything to you, I wanted to put a disgust for mediocrity in your heart. A disgust with being limited as to where, how far you can go in God. 
You can go as far as you want in God. You can have as much as you want of God. There's always a higher level in God. You've never reached the top. Never. Billy Graham didn't even reach the top. I'm sure if he had, I'm sure there was even more he could have done. As great of a life that Billy Graham had, and as the millions that came in to the kingdom through his service to God, there was still another level he could have had. You got to live that way. Because if you think you've arrived, you're going to stop, pitch a tent, and stay. Abraham didn't stop until he started to see exactly what God promised him. He tried to settle with Ishmael. And God said, I've not, I've not done it through Ishmael. No way. You think that's how, as far as I'm going to take you? Will you have to work it out yourself? No way. I'm going to take you to a level where you'll have no option but to credit me for everything that got done. He tried to do it naturally, human, through his human strength, human reasoning, God Ishmael. No, no, that's not it. There's still a, there's a higher place. And then at 100 years old, when he thought he had finally, you know, almost given up, God pulls through, provides a child, Isaac comes. And I, Abraham and everyone who met Abraham could no longer say that he was crazy following God. They knew God had a plan the whole time. I tell you, everyone around you that's expecting you to fail, that's actually waiting like a demon, wiping their hands, salivating, waiting for you to fall. They will wait in vain. God is going to take you higher and higher. As you walk with God, you're not going backwards. You're going forward. And you're, you're not going to stop. And God won't stop blessing you until he's taking you to that high place that he has for you. Psalm 87. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Talking about Zion. And remember, Hebrews chapter 12 says, We have come to Mount Zion. I'll make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who follow me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born here. Now listen to this. And of Zion, which is you and I, the church of God in prophecy, of Zion it shall be said. So this is the reputation Zion's going to have. This one and that one were born in her. People are going to take note that you're a Christian. And the Most High Himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when He registers the people, this one was born in her. And both the singers and players of instruments will begin to say, all my springs are in you. Talking about Zion. So essentially David's saying, the church of God, whenever they need a good teacher, it's gonna, the Christian's going to be the best teacher there is. Whenever they need a good teacher, uh, Landscaper, the Christian's going to be the best landscaper there is. All of our springs, all of our resources will be in the church, will be in Zion. See, a lot of people, and there's that song that they sang, uh, all our fountains are in you, and it's talking about God. But essentially, the scripture that they use for that lyric, it's actually not talking about God per se. It's talking about God in the church. It's talking about Zion. It's talking about the church that, is, uh, that God dwells in, the mountain that God dwells in, that God has chosen for His holy habitation. So when we sing that song in refer reference to God, it applies because all our springs are in God. However, the lyric comes from Psalm 87 where it says that the world 
will begin to say all our springs are in Zion, meaning all of our resources, all of the source of life, all of the goodness of the earth. All, you are the salt of the earth. That Jesus literally reiterates that by saying you are the salt of the earth. Well, what's salt good for? It's good to preserve. It's good to preserve. It's good to make tasty. It brings taste and flavor. So Jesus said you're the salt of the earth. You're going to make the world tasty. You're going to be the only thing that's of value on planet earth. You are the light of this earth. What is light good for? It guides with a flashlight, with a torch. Light guides. Light keeps warm. Brings comfort, heat. Jesus said you're going to be the source of guidance on the earth. You're going to be the source of heat and comfort. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1. That may the God of comfort use you to comfort those that are in affliction with the same comfort with which you were comforted with. We have the comforter, the Holy Ghost. He's called the comforter so that when the world is looking the way it is, we're the, that's why I can't get up with churches closing when their governor has even opened up churches. There are churches that are still closed when their own government has said you can open and they're still, we're going to take exceeding precautions. What? You're the comforter. The world has been disrupted by coronavirus. The world's peace has been totally dismantled. They're in chaos. There hasn't been chaos like this in my generation. And you're going to shut your door so that someone who's contemplating suicide because he lost his business can't come and receive the help he needs. I just got done an 18-day tour, Saskatchewan and Alberta. And man, there was a lady there that was given a terminal diagnosis. You're dying of brain cancer. You have a year to live. And she came to that meeting and she, I just, I saw the power of God fall on her. I called her out. You know, imagine if churches weren't closed and you receive a diagnosis like that. And then what are you going to do? Doctors said, there's nothing we can do. Go home, enjoy your life. You can take treatment, it'll prolong your life a couple of months but enjoy your life and then they want to come and seek answers from God but every church door is closed I mean you'll be judged if your government has said you can open and you're still shut you'll stand before God one day and if that's your church leave that church and don't go back go to another church that lady power of God hits her she texted the pastor a week later. I've had the best week. I don't, I don't, she's going to get tested now. She said, I don't feel the pain I used to feel. I know I'm healed. I'm going to get tested. And I'm going to bring the report. So I'm waiting for the report. But I know she got healed. You can't talk like that. She's not like she was confessing out in faith. She said, I don't feel. She, she came and testified the next Sunday in that church. I wasn't there. I was on to the next church. And her face was glowing. She, she didn't look sick. She didn't look like she did the week before. Her vitality was restored to her. You know why Jeremiah 8 says, is there no balm in Gilead? Because churches are turning people away. And Jeremiah the prophet called, why are you turning people away? Is there no balm in Gilead? People are hurting because churches have turned away from the program of the gospel to bring in and usher in their own programs. Reinhard Bonnke used to say, 
The less of the Holy Spirit and the power of God we have, the more cake and coffee we'll need to entertain people. And he said, it's not that I don't like cake and coffee. It's not that nice music sets and flashing lights and excellence in the church is bad. Those things are good. We should look great. Our churches should be the, the, the greatest looking buildings in all the city. However, they are no substitute for the presence and power of the Holy Ghost. That woman didn't come in because she was looking for a nice worship set. That woman came in because she needed breakthrough in the area of her physical infirmity. And when the anointing came, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I spent a little too long on this one too. Limitations as to what you can now accomplish. There's no more limitations. This, you know, the world loves to say the sky is the limit, but in Christ, the sky is not the limit. Heaven is now your limit. You can go as far as where God is because you're now seated with Christ in God. And God is at work in you and through you to accomplish His purpose. So it's not even your purpose being accomplished. It's God's purpose being accomplished through you. And when God does a thing, He doesn't do it. Mediocrity. In mediocrity. He doesn't do it uh, with lack of diligence. He does things diligently and He does things excellently. So expect that. Don't put a cap as to what God can do through you. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God gave them wisdom and knowledge and understanding in literature and in all in all the Babylonian literature. And when the king interviewed them, he found them to be ten times wiser than anyone else in the realm of Babylon. Because of God's spirit in them, they, found, they were found to be ten times wiser, ten times smarter, ten times brighter. Slaves had supernatural ability working through them. And as such, they were able to do ten times more than the average human being. Well, they didn't have the Spirit in them. They had the Spirit upon them. You have the Spirit in you who is there to abide with you forever. Jesus said, of all those born of women, Elisha, Elijah, Abraham, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, of all those born of women, there's not been one greater than John the Baptist. But he said, those that are least in the kingdom of heaven, saved, born again, filled with the Spirit, even the least, is greater than all of them put together. Greater than Abraham's potential. Abraham had a cap on his potential. Elijah had a cap as to what he can do. When you're born again, the potential has been uncapped and you can tap in to unlimited results, unlimited power with God. Number six, limitations as to what you can say. What you can confess, Psalm 81.10, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. So you shouldn't be speaking small things as to what God can do. Stop saying, you know, a lot of people, they, they talk like this. Well, Lord, if you can just get this done, I won't bother you for the rest. Just at least get this done. What at least? God is insulted by your at least prayers. Mark chapter 9, a boy is brought to Jesus and the father says, if you can do anything, help him. Jesus got offended. If I can't. If I can do anything, really? All things are possible to him that believes. So don't limit God by the words that you speak. You can talk big because we have a big God. Our confession shouldn't be according to our ability. Our confession should be in accordance to God's divine ability working in us. That's why Paul said, I can do all things. He didn't say I can do some things. 
He didn't say, I can do most things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. David said, I can leap over a wall. When Goliath came, he said, I will cut his head down. He spoke big because he knew that the Holy Spirit in him was big enough to confirm the words that he spoke boldly. What you declare boldly, God will confirm openly. What you declare and have faith enough to declare boldly, God will confirm it openly. I was reading a book by Young Hee Cho, David Young Hee Cho, and he, he had the largest church for a long time, 750,000 or a million members, something like that, in South Korea. And he said, oftentimes, I would have thoughts of mediocrity or thoughts that I, I won't have a big church and thoughts that, you know, I'm going to have a small church or whatnot. He said, but I didn't entertain those thoughts. I then began to speak the opposite of those thoughts. And I said, God is the author of this work and people will come. Sheep, the sheep will come as I make the grass green. And he began, he never spoke those thoughts. He always countered those thoughts with big words. I'm going to have a big church. I'm not going to have a small church. M more people will be saved next Sunday than were saved this Sunday. And what happened? He had the largest church in the world up until a couple of years ago. There was a, a time where he was in the United States in Texas and there was a man of God named Peter Wagner that had a reputation of praying for people who were missing limbs or if they had a shortened limb, it would grow out. And so David Yonggi Cho was preaching at his church and at the end of the service, a man came who was in a wheelchair. He was an amputee and he was missing part of his leg. And... David Yonggi Cho was sitting in the office while this person was wheeled into Peter Wagner's office. And Peter Wagner began to pray for the men. And David Yonggi Cho said, I saw him for five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, what felt like an eternity. I saw him pray and speak a new limb coming from his, uh, from his leg, a new foot that would form. And nothing happened for like five, six minutes. And I started to feel embarrassed for him. I started to feel humiliated and, and, and feel bad for the guy. Because, you know, he was speaking life to the guy's leg and, and nothing was happening. So, you know, I, I just prayed, Lord, at least do something. <laughs> this is an embarrassment. He felt, you know, he felt like when you're in an awkward situation, he felt awkward. And the guy didn't stop. He kept speaking. Ten minutes goes by and finally, Yonggi Cho said, my eyes went wide open as I saw the man's leg come back and his foot form and the man left walking. When I saw that, my jaw dropped. And I learned a principle that day that if you'll speak big long enough, it won't be long until God confirms that thing and produces the thing you're speaking. The scripture says we have the same spirit of faith as they did. They believe and they spoke. We therefore believe and now therefore we speak. Well, don't let the world's expectations and limitations dictate what words proceed out of your mouth. Instead, let your mouth be, and the confession of your mouth be dictated by the unlimited abilities and testimonies that we can see in this book called the Bible. That man with a withered hand in the synagogue, Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. He did, and it was restored as, the whole, as whole as the other. So speak forth that dead organs come back to life. You can speak to your body. Be strong. John G. Lake would wake up every morning and look at himself in the mirror and say, God lives in this body. 
And as such, the ability of God lives in this body. And so he would speak according to that ability. Speak to that organ to come back. Speak a creative miracle in your body. You might have lost a kidney. God's going to put a new kidney. I released a create. You know, words have a creative power to them. We could see that in creation. The first time words were used was in creation. God said, let there be, and light came, and things were created. So speak, use your words. You're created in God's image. And Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand, the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. They were framed by the word of God. You can speak, as long as it's in this book, there's no limitations as to what you can speak. And God said, I'm the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? So it's not too hard for God. Frame your world by speaking big. Don't expect little things and speak little plans. Speak big plans. Speak big dreams. Joseph saw a dream. So you got to see it before you can speak. You can't just speak it and have empty words. Joseph saw the dream. You see the dream of God for your life outlined in this book. When you see it, don't keep it to yourself. Speak it. Show boast God's ability. David said, some boast in chariots, some boast in horses. My boast is in the Lord. Boast in God by the words you speak. Daniel, Shadrach, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sorry, are thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. And what did they say? Our God is able. He will deliver us. You want to know why God turned Abram's name to Abraham? Because Abram meant exalted father, and he was already the father of Ishmael at the time. God said, I'm not calling you to be an exalted father of one person. I've made you a father of a multitude of nations. So start calling yourself Abraham. So now when he had to introduce himself to foreigners and to strangers, he had to say, hi, my name is Abraham. Hi, my name is father of many nations. But you have only one kid. I'm father of many nations. And he started to speak big. That's why God had to take him out of his little tent because he looked up and the tent was his ceiling. But in God, in sin, the tents are ceiling. In God, the heaven is our ceiling. The, sk the sky is not our limit. The heaven is our limit. And he said, now look towards the heavens, Abraham. Can you count the stars? No. That's how many descendants you'll have. Joseph began to share his dream to his brothers. And his brothers ridiculed him. And his brothers sold him into slavery because of it. They were envious and, bold and uh, jealous of Joseph and the mantle God placed on him. But you know what happened? Until the day that the word came to pass. See, that's the thing is people start to speak big, but they don't see immediate results. So they, they recede, they, they resign their confession. They, they waver in their confession. They immediately back down on their confession. And so they never see it happen. Joseph was in a, a ditch and he didn't change his confession until the word came to pass. The word of the Lord tried him. He fought the good fight of faith. God said, there's going to be a day where my brothers will bow. I've not seen it now. I'm not going to let this pit change the way I talk, the way I think. 
I'm exercising myself towards godliness because it holds promise in the life that now is and in the life that is to come. And one day came where Pharaoh sent, released him, and his brothers came and bowed before him. And the plan of God was fulfilled. So there's no limits as to what you can now say. Start declaring. Not what you feel. Stop being feeling led. We're not led by our emotions. They that are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And God's Spirit leads by His Word. Confess His Word. I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. Nothing is impossible with God. And so I know that the limitations of impossibilities that are placed on the average human have been removed from my life. Number seven, limitations on spiritual freedom. There's two areas where I'm going to deal with this. Number one is sin. People feel like they can't actually break free from a sin or an addiction, that they're always going to have that thing in their life. They're always going to struggle with... Uh, with, with a, a fleshly desire and carnal and their carnal nature. But I can tell you, Romans 6 tells us that we're no longer slaves to sin. Romans 6, verse 4. If you were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so you should now walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves or confined or limited or bound by or entangled in sin. I'm not a slave of sin. I want you to write that out. I am not a slave to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. I'm free from the limitations of sin. I'm free in respect to my spiritual freedom. I have no limitations placed on how free I can be spiritually. I'm not bound by sin. I'm not captive to sin. Whom the Son sets free is free and totally free indeed. That's right, Lisa. Be ye holy even as God is holy. If God said that, obviously there's a grace and a power to fulfill it. I'm not bound by what I used to be. Stop calling yourself a recovering alcoholic, recovering drug addict. I used to be those things. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. I don't have the same. Those who belong to Christ have crucified their desires and their passions to the cross. Those who are led by the flesh, the Bible said the deeds are evident. They are envy, dissension, sexual immorality, anger, hatred, witchcraft. But the deeds or the fruit of the Spirit is this. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I don't have the spirit of this world in me. I've been set free, delivered from this present wicked age according to the will of God my Father. And now... God's Spirit empowers me to produce the fruit of His Spirit. Love, joy, peace. And I'm not bound by hate. I'm not bound by immorality. I'm not bound by anger. I am free. 
The Bible says those who belong to Christ have put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no more provision for the flesh. Hallelujah. When you put on Christ, you no longer, you know why you're still struggling with a sin? You know why you're still struggling with that habit, that addiction? That thing you know is not pleasing God is because you keep on confessing that you're struggling with that thing. You confess your sin before God and then you accept that He cleansed. See, that's the thing. God is faithful and just not only to forgive your sin. Grace isn't God forgiving you. Grace is God's forgiveness and then Him cleansing you of all that unrighteousness, that appetite, that desire for worldly lusts. The Bible says in Titus 2, I believe it is, the grace of God has appeared to us, teaching us to, un to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. So God's grace empowers us, empowers us and teaches us to deny ungodliness, to be set free from spiritual darkness so that we can live lives that please God. Do you know you can live a life that pleases God? Do you know you can live a life free from sin? If Job did it under like Noah's covenant and the Bible says God testified and said that's a blameless man and he's a man who pleases me and does what is right and he shuns evil. If Job was able to do it, stop believing the lie that you can't please God. You can please, a, you can live a life pleasing to God. Paul said at the end of his life, I've kept the faith. I have fought the fight. And in the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So number one is sin. No Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. The Bible says a man's sins are like ropes that catch and, and keep him. But Christ, when he came, the Bible says, like fire, your, your ropes were burnt off. You're no longer bound. The Bible says, Hebrews 12, 2, that we are to lay aside now in Christ the sin and the weight that so easily entangles us. You can lay aside the sin. And the weight that so easily entangles you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7.1, Since we have such great and perfect promises, let us uh, perfect holiness in the fear of God. So you can perfect holiness in you. The Bible says we are being sanctified day by day. We're being conformed to the image of Christ, who is sinless. So you shouldn't be struggling with the same things 10 years ago when you came to Christ. You were struggling with those things. You, you are now... And I pray right now, every limitation of sin, every cord, every chain of darkness that's held you down, preventing you from pleasing God, preventing you from walking in the way of righteousness, in the path of the upright. Those things, that limitation gets breaking, broken off your life now in Jesus' name. The sword of God's spirit breaks and snaps those things off you in Jesus' name. And then number two is demonic, demonic limitations. The Bible says in Mark chapter 5, there was a man bound by over 2,000 demons and would oftentimes be laid with shackles and chains and he would break free and he would go into the mountains and in the tombs, cry out, yelling, cutting himself with stones and he couldn't be bound. He, couldn't, he was bound by demonic power. And the moment Jesus came, he said, come out of him, never enter him again. And that split second later, he was set free from demonic res resistance, demonic limitations. And he began to walk free. He was sitting clothed and in his right mind. 
Hallelujah. No more darkness on your mind. No more dark. You don't have to submit to the limitations of darkness on your mind. The Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the darkness of this world. The whole world lies under the sway of the devil. But ye are of God. Ye are of God. God's seed abides in you. And the wicked one cannot touch you. 1 John 5.18 The wicked one can no longer limit you. So that means depression loses its hold on you. Anxiety loses its hold on you. Sickness and disease loses its hold on you. Confusion. Mental paralysis loses its grip on you. The Bible says the anointing breaks the yoke that hell would try and fashion on your, on your neck. Isaiah 10, 27. Not only if you actually study the actual Hebrew of that verse, it doesn't just say that the yoke will be destroyed. The Bible actually says that the anointing will make your neck so strong that hell won't be able to fashion a handcuff or a, a neck brace large enough to lay back on you, to, to, to rebind you. That's what the anointing does. It sets you free from the limitations of darkness, gets you to be so strong in the spirit, your neck. Have you ever seen these like WWE wrestlers? Their necks are so fat. Well, the anointing does that to you in the spirit. Where when you work yourself up in the word and in prayer, your, your neck spiritually gets so fat, hell doesn't even have a chain large enough to wrap around your neck. Hallelujah. So I, I declare in the name of Jesus. The Bible says, declare and decree and light shall shine on your ways. Therefore, you know, every, every problem of darkness can be easily answered with light. And the Bible says we're to declare and decree and it shall be established and light will shine on your ways. So I declare right now, every form of darkness in your body, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, everything that's held you down, everything that's been like a weight, a spirit of heaviness to weigh you down, feeling like the weight of this world is crushing you on your shoulders, the weight of depression, the weight of suicidal thoughts, the weight of self-harm, the weight of... of, of, of um, of addiction, in Jesus' mighty name, I declare you free now by the power of the gospel and the authority of the gospel of Christ. I break those limitations, darkness. Try. The devil can try and deceive you to think that you have to tolerate and live bound by darkness, that one day we'll be set free when we get to heaven. No, you don't have to tolerate. You don't have to pamper or nurse it. You can be set free right now. You don't have to live bound by, the, bound by hell. You were born from above. You've been raised up with Christ. And hell can't access where you're now seated. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Number eight, and I'll finish with this. The limitations of natural law. We see this when Peter walked on water. Jesus didn't, was not subject to the natural laws of this world. The Bible says he walked on water and then he called Peter and Peter walked on water, which shows you that it wasn't just something that was reserved for Jesus because he was the son of God. It shows you that by faith, you can be set free from natural limitations. Elisha takes a piece of wood and throws it into a, 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 a lake and then an axe head starts to float. That's not natural. That's against the laws of gravity. Heavy axe, iron does not float. It sinks. But Elisha, by faith, 
reverse the natural laws to give way to the higher law of the supernatural law, which is, which, uh, is enforced by the laws of faith. Joshua called the sun to stand still. I mean, you can, you can read through the whole Bible. Nothing about this Bible is natural. Isaiah 8.18 I and the children whom the Lord has given to me, we are for signs and for wonders. You weren't created a natural human. You were born natural, but you were born again supernatural. You were created for signs and for wonders. Daily, there should be a, a flow of the miraculous. People should look to you and say, you just have good luck. Seems like everything seems to work for you. And then you can tell them it ain't luck. It's grace. It ain't luck. It's spiritual power. Dynamic power with God that's released through me. The Bible says... Uh, of Sarah giving birth at 90 years old. There's nothing natural about that. You can read Jesus opening up blind eyes. There's nothing natural about that. There should be nothing natural about you. Moses getting to the Red Sea and parting it just by lifting his rod. That's not natural. That's not normal. Life is spiritual. There's a spiritual world. There's a fourth dimension. We live in a three-dimensional world. What we can see, what we can touch, the senses. But we're not bound by this third dimension. This third-dimensional world. Because we have a fourth-dimensional world and we're entitled to fourth-dimensional living. Through faith, the Bible says, they subdued kingdoms. Out of weakness were made strong. Sarah received strength to conceive seed. By faith. Faith produces supernatural results. Faith produces abnormal results. Faith produces what cannot be logically reasoned with the mind of men. And it didn't end with Jesus. Paul, just handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body. That's not natural. There's nothing in sweat that heals sicknesses and casts out devils. But somehow, when handkerchiefs and, and aprons were brought from his body, there were supernatural works being produced through those aprons. Demons were cast out. Cancers left. Bodies were restored. And strength came back on people. We serve a supernatural God. And we're children of His, so we should be supernatural children. So that people wonder and scratch their heads. Something's not... I, I'm obviously not doing things right. What are you doing right? And you can lead them to the gospel. It's nothing I'm doing. It's God's power at work in me. I mean, the whole Bible is just listed with, like, abnormal stories. A donkey speaking? Really? But that happened. And so why do you think God wrote this? Was it for us just to, like, read it and just 
glisten in it and marvel and just talk about it? Or do you think it's there to steer us up to believe God for the supernatural today? God wants to do the same today through you, in your family. I mean, think of it. Jesus come, Peter comes to Jesus. They said they're accusing us of not paying taxes. Really? Go and fish. Take the first fish that pops up. I want you to open its mouth. In it, there'll be a gold coin. That'll be enough to pay my taxes and your taxes for the rest of the year. What's natural about that? Stop ex expecting human results. Stop res expecting natural results. Stop expecting ordinary results. Now is the time for the extraordinary manifestations of the glory and power of God here on the earth. This generation needs to see that we're not a social club. That we are the pillar and ground of the truth on the earth. This generation needs to see a people rise up who don't just talk about the Bible, but live the Bible daily. Smith Wigglesworth tells a guy who has no, no feet, go and buy shoes by faith. And when you put your stubs in them, feet will grow back. And so he went out, and then he gets to the store. He had never been to a shoe store before. He was born without feet. And he asked, the, the sales clerk comes to him and says, what size shoe would you like? You know, confused. And he's like, ah, I never had to answer that question. He says, I guess a nine. So the guy comes out with a nine, size nine shoe. And the moment he put his two stubs into those shoe entry holes, feet grew back, and he left there. And there was a mighty, mighty testimony that floated throughout all of England. A man with no feet, gross feet. Nothing natural about that. I mean, I was just reading today. Uh, there was a, a lady who had a son in the United States, and they were very poor, couldn't afford anything, let alone pets. And the boy went to school and saw his friends had a dog and one of them had a cat. And so he went back home and he said that he wanted, he wanted his mom to buy a, a cat for him. But she said, I can't, we don't have money to buy a cat. We don't have money to support a cat. And the food and the bills that, that are required to, to, to support a cat living in your home. So she felt bad, but for days and days and days, he kept trying to persuade her to go and buy a cat, but she said, you know what we'll do? We'll pray. Let's pray. And so they got on their knees and they prayed and they asked the Lord to give them a cat. Well, it was like five, six days later that from the sky, randomly, I'm not kidding, this actually happened and it was on, on the news. It was actually, it went national news. It went viral. That boy is doodling in his little sketchbook as he's sitting on a porch of his house, and all of a sudden, a cat falls from the sky. And they go out to see what it was, and they see it's a cat. And so they started to rejoice. God had answered their prayer, but a couple of days later, a man comes in from 800 kilometers away and said, that's my cat. And he said that I was um, trying to tie some tree branches, and somehow the cat came on one of the tree branch, and it like swung as like a catapult, and it flung the cat to where you were 
And so they went to court because that's not believable. You live 800 kilometers away. There's no way a cat was flung 800 kilometers away. So they went to court. The guy was trying to, I guess, weird obsession with cats. He wanted to, he wanted to get a free cat. They went to court and the court ruled in the favor of the boy and the, and the young mother. And they ended up keeping the cat because it didn't make sense. They did the test. Even if a tree branch is brought back and, um, and there's enough tightness, maximum tightness, to fling it as far as it can, it only went like 30 or 40 meters away. So 800 kilometers is not believable. So that boy ends up getting a cat and heaven provided that cat. What is natural about that? Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not of. The one who coded the universe with natural law, don't you think he has the ability to hack in and make way and override that code to do whatever he wants done? If he coded the universe, he's the one that put the natural law in place. When you walk by faith, the natural laws, make, they give way to make way for the higher law, the supernatural law. Galatians 4.3 says, we're no longer bound by the elementary laws of this world. Colossians 2.18.20 says, why, do you, why are you kept? Let me read it. Colossians 2.20, and then we're going to pray. Thanks for sticking on with me this long. If you haven't had a chance to share the broadcast, please do so. Colossians 2. 20. So if you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, meaning from natural law, why as though are you living in this world and subjecting yourselves to its regulations? Why are you subjecting yourself to its limitations? Why do you subject, if you've died with Christ and Christ now lives in you, why are you subjecting yourself to the confinement of natural law? Why are you putting limitations on you that are no longer actually, that no longer reside in you? I pray the Lord will begin, it'll be like a, a flood, a tidal wave. Billow after billow, wave after wave of miracles that you'll begin to witness this day. And you know how you enter into that? You know, all this, these eight limitations are great and they're true. But you want to know how you break free forever from these limitations? By living a life of faith. So how do you live a life of faith? Three ways. Number one, you need to get interested in what I spoke on. Interested into what is available to you. Number two, you need to get informed from the word that these things are actually so. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Well, I'm, I hear all these limitations, but I feel like I'm limited in every single area that you spoke on these last two days. Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. Like Elisha's servant, I pray the Lord opens your eyes today to the surpassing greatness of God's word and power that's available to you. The evidence of the word. The wonders of his word. Paul told Timothy, consider the word of God and may the Lord give you understanding in everything. It's not enough just to know how to quote the word. You need to understand what it means for you. 
And Jesus said, according to your level of understanding, you'll bring forth fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold fruit. But I'm praying that God's going to raise up people on this broadcast. They're not going to be at the 30 level. They're not going to be at the 60 level. They're going to be at the 100 fold level. And then number three, you need to learn to enforce it, to turn that loose, that faith loose. How do you turn your faith loose? By constantly meditating on the word, letting it burn in your heart, and speaking the word, and then have corresponding action. So what does that mean? If you feel limited physically, act by faith. Do things you couldn't do before. If you were sick and you or maybe you had pain in your back, Break free from that limitation by doing something you couldn't do before. Stand up straight. Like Jesus told that man with the withered hand, stretch out, stretch out your hand. And as he did, he found out that the physical limitation that had come on him, as he acted on God's word, he stretched it out and it was as whole as the other. So God will split the sea in front of you. But you, have to, you can't cry out to God to do it for you. Act the word. Wave the rod. And you'll see. When you work the word, God's word will go to work for you. And do what is humanly impossible to get done. These are the eight limitations that sin brought on mankind, but Christ removed from the redeemed. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I want you to write it out in the comments. No more limits for me. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you'd like to get right with God, you know, you'll, you'll never break any limit. Limit of your past, limits of sickness, limits of financial wealth, limits of mental health and mental capability. You'll never break any of them if you're still bound by sin. Sin is the master chain that keeps people hooked in to a life of impossibilities. But Jesus said, when you are born again, you enter into the kingdom of God, which is a realm of no impossibilities. The Bible says that you must be born again. You can't just hope you're right with God. There's a way to know that you're right with God. The way you know is you admit you're a sinner. You believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And then you confess Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. And you're going to live for Him the rest of your life. Commit your life to Christ. Commit your life to Christ today. Don't push off till tomorrow. What God did 2,000 years ago and He's ready and willing to do for you today. He wants to save you. He's desperate to have relationship with you. The prodigal son, when he came back, the father ran to him. God's running your direction today. Don't ignore that tug on your heart. God said, hell is prepared for the devil. But Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. There's a, a house, there's a mansion with your name on it in heaven. Don't let it go idle and empty for the rest of eternity. Make sure your name is written in heaven. There's a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And all your good deeds can't guarantee a place in that book. All your good actions, all your charitable deeds... Even your church attendance does not guarantee a place in that book. The only way to secure your name in that book is by having your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says, if you sin, God is faithful and God is just to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness today. So pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you sent Jesus to die for me. And I confess Christ is my Lord. I will live for him. Old things are passed away. From today, I'm not walking in life alone. I've got Jesus in my heart. I'm a new creature. My sins are forgiven. My past is forgotten in your eyes. All things are made new. The whole world might lie under the sway of the evil, but I'm born of God. I'm born of God's spirit and the evil one can no longer touch me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In Jesus' name, heaven is my home. God is my father. Jesus is my Lord and I'll live for him the rest of my life. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go with me on salvationnow.ca. First link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. Get that information to me. Give me your address. I want to send something to you free of charge. We pay shipping. We pay handling as a way of welcoming you into the family of God. For the rest of you, you know, the other day I talked about uh, the limitations that the curse of the law placed on us financially. That when God placed Adam and Eve in Eden, he was in a land, in a garden that was fill, filled with plenty, filled with prosperity. When Adam sinned, that's when poverty came on the earth. But in Christ Jesus, the Bible says one of the things in Deuteronomy 28 is listed as a curse of the law is poverty, need, lack, insufficiency, always just trying to get by. So Christ redeemed us, redeemed us from the curse of the law so that the blessing of, of Abraham might come upon us. Well, what was Abraham's blessing? Abraham's blessing was that you would be uh, fully provided for. Abraham's blessing is, I will multiply you and increase you and make you exceedingly fruitful. Abraham's blessing, the Bible says, God blessed him in livestock, silver, and in gold. So you are a child of Abraham and are entitled to the blessing of Abraham. But Jesus told in John 8, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the works of Abraham. Well, what was Abraham's work? Abraham's work was very simple. When God said, you're to sacrifice Isaac to me, he didn't delay. He went and Isaac represented a sacrificial seed. It was his most prized possession. Something that meant a value to Abraham. And he didn't hinder. He went that very the next morning, rose up early, brought Isaac and a few hired lads and servants and brought him to the mount called Moriah. And there he tied him to that altar and was about to lay the knife through his neck. And the moment he lifted up his hand, God called out and said, don't harm the lad. Don't harm him. For now I know that you fear me since you've not withheld your most prized possession. And he said, and by myself now I have sworn. Because you didn't withheld, withhold Isaac, because you didn't hold back from giving me, you're all. By myself I've sworn that in blessing I will bless you. There's a sworn blessing that comes upon givers, people that give towards the kingdom of God. 
where you enter into a category of people where your path is, shines brighter and brighter financially, where you're not tying into the world's economic system. You now have a higher system that you draw resources from and God supplies all your needs according not to the U.S. Treasury riches and glory, not according to Canada Bank riches and glory, but according to His riches and His glory. Can you say amen? So the way we do that is through giving. Your giving ties yourself, ties you financially, it connects you to the flow of God's resources so that even in the midst of famine, you're well fed. Even in the midst of a pandemic, you're well provided for. Even in the midst of economic disarray and turmoil, you're still enjoying abundance and overflow. So I would challenge you today, if you've never given a seed of faith, a seed of uh, a sacrificial seed to the kingdom, we just got done. We just did 18 days of preaching. We had over 50 people give their lives to the Lord in three relatively small churches. You know, not like 500-person churches, 1,000-person churches, where the, the attendance was like 1,500 on Sunday morning. I'm talking about like 50, 70 people. And we had over 50 decisions for Christ. So this is good soil. You know, one thing I noticed that when God called Abraham to sow a seed... He didn't just tell him to sow it anywhere. He said, go to the mountain, which I will show you. So ask the Lord where he would have you give. And if the Lord's put precedent in your spirit to give to this ministry, obey him. God's not looking to take from you. God's not subtracting. God is looking to multiply what you give. The little you put in his hand, he wants to multiply back to you. So that you break free from the limitations poverty has set on certain people. Your family might have been poor. You might be poor, but you don't have to stay poor. There's a way out of poverty. You want to know why the, the devil hates the message of prosperity so much? I'm not saying there aren't excesses. There are people who abuse it. But you want to know why the devil wants to keep you poor? Because when you're poor, your mind is literally just set on your life, what you're going to eat, how you're going to make it, how you're going to pay rent, how are you going to pay that electricity bill? How are you going to pay that heating bill? That's what bombards the minds of those that are in abject poverty. And you can't blame them. They'd be mentally unfit if they thought, if they weren't thinking about all those things. Meanwhile, they don't even have, they don't even have a dime to their name. There would be some loose screws if they weren't bombarded by those thoughts. But Jesus said, you're not to worry about those things. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And everything else that you worry about, that people work two jobs to obtain, God will give it to you cheaply. He'll put it in your hands. So that now, you know you're not supposed to pray one minute for finances? You shouldn't give any minute in prayer towards finances. God wants your prayers to be for the lost. God wants your prayers to be for his kingdom. God wants your prayers to be kingdom advancement prayers. Not about how you're going to make it. And my God, if his eye is on the sparrow and you have faith to sow and to partner your finances with God's kingdom, if his eye is on the sparrow, my God will take care and good care of you. For I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread. The scripture says, David said, he has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. 
God is pleased with blessing you. That's right, Susan. He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And you know what? He doesn't provide the way the government provides, where he gives you one stimulus check just to get you through. When God provides, he shatters the walls of poverty and he brings you out of bondage into his prosperity. He doesn't provide the way the world provides. When he told Peter to let down his net for a catch, it wasn't just enough to get him by. He had to signal to partners to come and bring their boats. And when the boats were filled, they began to weigh down the boats so they began to sink. He doesn't provide the way we see uh, fit to provide. He's not your government giving you welfare. That's not God doesn't want you to be on welfare. God wants you to be broken free from the government system, tie into his system, where now you're a blessing. Where when someone comes and they need, need, they have a need. You don't have to keep them in prayer. You could say, what's the need? Here's the check. Be blessed. God will use you to do that. Don't look at where you're at now. Don't look at your financial situation now. Take the steps necessary to tap into heaven's economy and see how God will not open up the windows of heaven. See how he'll open up those windows and pour you out a blessing. So much so you won't have enough room to hold it all in. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca God bless you and until next time.